On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. This person died in 2014 at the age 82, and he's a man. Okay. He grew up in a Middle Eastern immigrant neighborhood of Detroit. Not Johnny Cash. Okay, you said not Johnny Cash. (laughs) Okay, let's keep going. He embraced corniness as Vietnam-era cynicism peaked, but his format struck a chord. So is he a comedian? Is it Bob Barker? I don't think Bob Barker's a comedian. In fact, I don't even think Bob Barker's dead. He had a cameo in 1984 Ghostbusters in which he played himself. Oh my gosh. It's not Leslie Nielsen, right? It's not Leslie Nielsen, but that's not a bad guess. His biggest role off the radio was in the TV cartoon series Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? The movie? TV cartoon series. Oh, Oh, I don't know who the voices were for that. He retired in 2004, handing over duties to Ryan Seacrest. Oh, 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 I might, um... Casey Kasem? (laughs) Today's dead celebrity is Casey Kasem. It is! In Hollywood, this is Casey Kasem on American Top 40. We're counting down the biggest hits in the USA on our way to the number one most popular song in the nation. I'm Casey Kasem. Now, one more time, the words I've ended my show with since 1970. Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Welcome to Famous and Great. I'm Michael Osborne. My name is Amit Kapoor. And on this show, we go through a series of categories about multiple aspects of a famous person's life. We want to figure out the things in life that we would actually desire and ultimately answer a big question, would I want that life? Today, Casey Kasem, died 2014, age 82. First line of the obituary? Let's do it. Casey Kasem. A disc jockey who never claimed to love rock and roll, but who built a long and lucrative career from it, creating and hosting one of radio's most popular syndicated pop music shows, American Top 40, died on Sunday in a hospital in Gig Harbor, Washington. He was 82. It's interesting that that's the one thing that they chose to accentuate, that he didn't love rock and roll, but made his life around it. There was so much to his life. Yeah. That that's a strange thing to pick, but you got to pick something. I I guess I'm a little befuddled why they chose to accentuate that. I mean, I think it's sort of like he made his fortune and his fame in a industry that he was not necessarily enamored with. Do you feel like there's commentary by doing that, by making that choice to say he, he became successful as a result of rock and roll, even though he didn't love it? Yeah, it seems like the author of the obituary is a rock and roll enthusiast who doesn't like that somebody who didn't embody and love rock and roll was so much of the voice of it. Yeah. Do you think they should have mentioned Shaggy? Yeah. I mean, I had forgotten about that. It's coming from the bushes. Go see what it is, Scooby. Don't worry. I'm right behind you. 
that's headline stuff. So does that feel like an omission here? Because I feel like whenever we go through the obituary, we're looking at the verbiage, we're looking at the expansiveness, how much do they capture the whole life, which includes omissions, right? Is there something they missed? Yeah. As well as cleverness and economy, how well the one sentence does the work of in a tight way. Yeah, to me, being a chief character of Scooby-Doo is more important than the fact that he may not have loved rock and roll it's also his take, by the way. There's a Casey's quote, take himself. Casey's, Casey has said, that it was quoted in a New York Times article, I think from 2007. He said, years from now, Casey Kasem will be long forgotten, but Shaggy is going to live on. Yeah, I saw that in my research. So he wasn't lying about it. Yeah, I guess like, that's and right. I think some of the other things that I read is that he enjoyed being the counter- to rebellious rock and roll. Yeah. Like, even if a hard rock song was on the top 40 or something with a very countercultural message, he enjoyed being the, the counterweight. So let's get back to the obituary here for a second. You know, long and lucrative career, they kind of hinted good fortune. That'll True. come up later. It's not a particularly clever obituary. Very line. low clever points. Yeah. It sounds like you're sort of skewing on the not as impressed with this obituary. No, I'm not. And I think the reason that we choose New York Times obituaries for our show is because they tend to to wow us with their cleverness or their brevity or lack thereof. At and least I don't 15 think, pieces of flair. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I don't think it did it on any of them. This just sounded descriptive with one possible grudge. It also doesn't get at the drama that surrounds his death and his end of life, which I know we're going to get into as well. Yeah. Do you think that's appropriate? Was that another omission? First line, I don't know. What we look for in the first line, the reason we choose the first line is because of the summation. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's that important in the summation of the public Casey Kasem. I do think, like, they describe him as a disc jockey. People still obviously listen to terrestrial radio, but I, I wonder, and we, I don't even, like, if you were to poll millennials and younger, I wonder if they would know what DJ stands for. No, probably not. And if you told them disc jockey, they would. Pro there's probably something very offensive about it. You think so? Yeah. Because the word jockey? A jo anything jockey is typically tends to be. Has a, jockey been canceled? I would imagine. What does it mean? I think of like the the little guy on the horse. No, but I mean, look who you're sitting in front of. This is like the '80s insult to my people was to call us camel jockeys. Oh, really? Yeah. I guess now that you say that, yeah. Sorry, you I should have, you should have been on the same playgrounds as me, Michael. <laughs> I guess I, I guess I should have. I felt like that didn't happen that. It would have been if we'd grown up in the same town. But yeah, yeah. Now, but that term that's interesting. So that so like, that's my. So I mean, I'm just bringing that in. But that's my association with jockey being a pejorative. That makes sense. So you hear the word jockey and you think of the pejorative camel jockey. I mean, I think of a few traumatic moments probably in like elementary school. Yes. Wow. Wow. That's uh, is an education moment for, for my white ass. This yeah. is good. That's good. I yeah. need to hear this. I won't use the word jockey again. And, and let's not entirely irrelevant to my experience. Let's not forget Casey Kasem was Lebanese-American. Yeah. I mean, I am Indian-American, but we share a pretty similar complexion. You might both have received that insult on the playground. I don't see how growing up in 1930s America, if that slur existed back then, yeah. how he couldn't have received it. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know the, the origins of it. Wow. I didn't think we were going to talk so much about the word 
the J word. <laughs> not even going to say it anymore. Uh, well, let's grade it. What do you think? I'm going to go four because— I think that's uh, high based on—I think you always bump up a point or two. I think you should go lower based on how negative you were on this. No, I'm not going to be forced into this, Michael. All right. It was still a summation. I don't think it, it was inappropriate. I don't know what it a one or a two is for you now. On obituaries? Yeah. I, well, I've never—have I given any? That's what I, that's my point. Yeah, I guess it would have to hit me in a certain way. The way I look at a four is that's pretty bad. That's getting a 40 on a test. Okay. But yeah. where are you? Where are you going to score it? I was going to say three. Oh, um, okay, and that's so vastly different from my four. Well, I see more positive here. I do think the summation is good. This is not Kenny Rogers. Kenny Rogers was, I'm still pissed off about that one. <laughs> they captured the really high and important points. He was on the radio. He had a long and lucrative career. I think he is going to be, or should be, at least when he died, remembered for American Top 40. And I think that that should be elevated above the Scooby-Doo voiceover. Because he lent his voice, but he didn't necessarily like design or write the show. I think in terms of comprehensiveness, good. I, it did not have 15 pieces of flair, so I'm a little disappointed in the verbiage. So it's a low score. It's sub-average. I don't think of it as a 40 on a test. I, I start with the number five. Is yeah. it better or worse than average? But if you're a journalist, you should be ashamed of yourself. If I you're getting a three or, or a four from either I of us. I think so. I think so. I would have loved to have heard something about his voice here and the richness of it, the way that he seemed to just reach through the microphone and literally speak to people so that you heard that voice and you were right there with him. I mean, it was, it was transcendent. I'm Casey Kasem. Among these 40 top acts of the 80s, we have 18 groups. 12 of the groups are either American or part American. And we're up to the biggest of these. And to not have mention of that, to just call him a radio DJ, you know, belittles, I think, what was an incredible God-given talent. Yeah. So either way, a three and a four, we're disappointed. Indeed. Okay. Shame on you, New York Times. All right. Onward. Let's go on to the next category, five things I love about you. Here, Amit and I work together to come up with five reasons to be talking about this person. I'll just say, and I don't know if we want to include it, but to me, the voice is number one. It's so good that I don't know if this is a career that can ever be replicated. The richness of it is incredible. Yeah. So I'm going to go ahead and steal that one for number one, if you don't mind. I'll agree with it. I'll high-five you on it. It's a very imitated voice, but no one else can ever have that. Like, he has just cornered that off from our conscious for several generations. Well, you know, I took a step a second ago trying to talk about what works about it. If this is a quality that not necessarily everybody is given, we all only have so much control over our vocal range. We can go to speech therapists, we can learn to sing, we can take voice lessons, we can practice diction, we can practice enunciation and that sort of thing. I don't know. I guess I just want to shine a light on that quality and the importance of like voice as instrument, as something that is desirable. Even if you don't have Casey Kasem's God-given voice, like you can make your voice better. And I think that that's a powerful, great thing to do in life. Yeah, I think there's something about it that makes it sound like an announcement, but everything is an announcement. So certain people, if they're making announcements, be it they're broadcasting a game or presenting a speaker or whatever, they, they only have finite moments that they can really put emphasis behind something and make it sound like an important announcement. Yeah, He could make everything sound important just by the way he accentuated it. That sort of confidence, I think, was even soothing. Yeah. 
All right. Well, uh, do you want to go on number two? Yep. I will take, well, then we've been talking about it forever, but I, I can't let it go. Shaggy. Yeah. That's on I, my list. Yeah. I love Scooby-Doo. Yes. And it was a forgotten fact for me until I started researching for this episode. I think I knew it in the past, yeah. but it was a forgotten fact. Scooby-Doo is so great. It's such a great cartoon. I watch it with my kids now, and yeah. I haven't seen the movies or the reboots, but uh, like just a 30-minute mystery and unlikely friends and a van and a dog. And certainly, like I think it was a clever cartoon in the way that you learn somewhere in adolescence that at least Shaggy and Scooby are probably high. That had some cultural cachet for me. Yeah. And he made Shaggy come to life. Yeah, and Shaggy was so the opposite of the Casey Kasem that was projected on the TV and radio shows. The persona, yeah, totally. Yeah. I watched a YouTube clip of him doing Shaggy behind the scenes, and he's animated, Casey Kasem is, when he's doing it. I mean, he's sort of like, he's not standing still. He is, yoinks, and, you know, doing, like... He's really into it, which I think you have to do. You have to use your whole body if you're going to do that kind of voice work. But I love that number two. I think yeah. it's a great one. Can I take three? Sure. I'm going to say develop the countdown format. This is a little bit of a meta point. I think it relates to our show. But the sort of the gaming aspect of radio, like you're never going to guess who number two is this week. You know, there's a suspense built into that show format that I think actually informs a lot of what we're listening to and listening for in audio today, whether it's terrestrial radio or podcasts. Yeah. So I think it's like a great idea, but I also like think it it has probably had more cultural impact in terms of conditioning the listening audience for a certain thing than maybe we appreciate. Correct. Yeah, because we are in list culture. Totally. We are maybe past it a little bit. Like the peak of it may have been BuzzFeed type of era. Yeah. But everything's a list. Everything's a top 10, top 20, and not That's just a, on important things. He basically started all that. That's exactly my point. And I, you know, I disagree that we're past we're list past, culture. We're past list culture. I think we may be past a certain kind of clickbait on the internet. I don't know if like five things that will make you want to go to Hawaii will get the same kind of click that it might have a few years ago. Just because we're so numb to it. Yeah, right. Yeah. We, but, but that said, I do think that there is something about the human brain that wants things organized and ranked. You and, know, And wants to be won, wants winners crowned. Right. Like the best or the most popular or the most successful song of the week. Yeah. So I guess I'm, I'm encompassing the idea for the show but also its legacy uh, in my number three. Uh, you want to take four? Yeah, four, I'm going to go with activist. On a lot of things, on a lot of animal rights, he was a strict vegan, had some causes that were very dear to him around Middle Eastern politics. Yeah. And there were a few other things. Anti-nuke, I saw. Yeah, yeah, and he took big stands on it. Like, I think part of, and I'm, I may be mixing stories here, but part of, I think, the end of... The Scooby-Doo years was that he was, they were supposed to be in a Burger King commercial. Yeah. And because he didn't want to promote meat consumption, he left it. Yeah. So, I mean, he put, took some pretty strong positions. Uh, we'll return to that in a moment. Okay. But it's not necessarily the specific positions he chose that you admire. It's that he took a stand and was actually an, a real activist. Yeah. As best I can tell, the realness of the activism and not just somebody that says they champion a cause. It's genuine. Yeah, and I'm I'm removing myself from the causes. I'm not saying that those are my causes. I'm just saying the authenticity of it. Yeah, that's good. I've got an unusual number five. Okay. 
his failed attempts to break into acting. Uh, I had I had a variation on that. I, like he really tried to make it over and over into the movies. Some of the movies he's in in the '60s are clearly like schlock movies. I heard uh, <laughs> heard somebody to res- describe them as the movies that Troy McClure might appear in. I'm Troy McClure, star of such films as P is for Psycho and The President's Neck is Missing. Their titles include The Girls from Thunderstrip. The Glory Stompers, Scream Free, with an exclamation point. 2,000 Years Later, The Cycle Savages, and The Incredible Two-Headed Transplant. I love that he just kept at it, that he worked his way through the radio circuit. He was in Michigan, and then he was in San Francisco, and he winds his way up in L.A., and he's like trying to get into acting and not giving up, and gets into voice work and still continues to try and get on the, the silver screen. I think his dream was to be... An actor. Yeah. And I, I think radio is a, a pretty good second best. But that he never totally bailed on that, I admire the failed attempt. Yeah. Specifically, I like the horror movie. I think the the two-headed transplant is Have what I wrote down. Have you seen any of these? No. But yeah, I like that part of the story. It's so L.A. It's so America. Well, and gets back to his signature tagline, what is it? Keep your feet on the ground and keep reaching for the stars. Like, he lived like, that. You yeah. Know? He was doing that. That's what this is all about. So do we have our five? I think we have our five. Okay. I imagine very little disagreement on that, Michael. Wonderful. All right. Well, let's move on. Category three, Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich. Malkovich, Malkovich, Malkovich. This category is named after the movie Being John Malkovich, in which people take a portal into John Malkovich's mind where they can have a front row seat to his experiences. I want you to take this first. It was hard because I was looking for something very deep or very representative of the various eras he lived through. Yeah. But I landed on playing myself in Ghostbusters. That's good. Still making headlines all across the country, the Ghostbusters are at it again, this time at the fashionable dance club, The Rose. I just think it's the playing yourself. There is a coronation for that, and I think that was a big-budget movie. They obviously didn't know how big it would actually be, but you can tell they put a lot of resources into it. Yeah. And if you are plucked out to play yourself in something like that, like you are being crowned as a pillar of culture. My memory is that his cameo is sort of like in the mix of a montage as the Ghostbusters are sort of gaining more notoriety around New York City because they're so busy and like they that the Ghostbusters being mentioned by Casey Kasem in the movie is actually a mark of how well known the Ghostbusters themselves are becoming. Is that correct? Correct. But that's the compliment I'm talking about is that the studio is saying you Casey are the culture maker. Yeah. Right? So you, Casey, are going to be the person we're going to have on screen to acknowledge that our characters, the Ghostbusters, are officially part of ascending culture. He validates the Ghostbusters. He validates the Ghostbusters. I like that. I struggled, too, with a Malkovich moment. I still haven't made a decision, actually. I've got two. Okay. You mentioned the Burger King ad. So he walked away from the character of Shaggy when he was asked to do a Burger King ad in the character of Shaggy, and as a vegan, he wouldn't do it. He eventually agreed to come back and do Shaggy only if they made Shaggy a vegetarian. Oh, yes. I like the idea of him in the negotiating table saying, here's where I draw the line. 
I come back, but you're going to make this cartoon character vegetarian. And by the way, I read that Shaggy is the first acknowledged vegetarian cartoon character. That was the sort of like claiming of the character and his stamp on it. It's a little bit of a power grab. And that that he drew that line there. And he won. I mean, yeah. that's huge. It's courageous, but it's also, I mean, that's, again, I'm going to use the word, that's culture making. Yeah. No, that's true. I think I really like that you're using that phrase because that is what he's doing. I mean, he is a culture maker. Well, I'm going to go with that one then. My other one was, are you aware of his hot mic moment? Hot mic, well, like meaning the mic is on and he's doing, like, yeah, and, saying things. Yeah. Yeah, he had a few of those. I saw that he's like yelling vehemently at staff yeah. while the mic is still on. That's what I meant. It's not a hot mic moment. Thank you for, there's a YouTube clip that compiles his hot mic moments. Have you listened to it? No. All right, I'm just going to play a little bit of it. Okay. We're up to our long-distance dedication. And this one is about kids and pets and a situation that we can all understand, whether we have kids or pets or neither. It's from a man in Cincinnati, Ohio, and here's what he writes. Dear Casey, this may seem to be a strange dedication request, but I'm quite sincere, and it'll mean a lot if you play it. Recently, there was a death in our family. He was a little dog named Snuggles, but he was most certainly a part of... Let's go start again. I'm coming out of the record. Play the record, okay? <clears throat> See, when you come out of those up-tempo goddamn numbers, man, it's impossible to make those transitions. And then you got to go into somebody dying. You know, they do this to me all the time. I don't know what the hell they do it for, but goddamn it, if we can't come out of a slow record, I don't understand it. Is Don on the phone? Okay, I want a goddamn concerted effort to come out of a record that isn't a fucking up-tempo record every time I do a goddamn death dedication. Now, make it, and I also want to know what happened to the pictures I was supposed to see this week. This is a god, last goddamn time. I want somebody who uses fucking brain to not come out of a goddamn record that is, uh, that, that's up-tempo, and I got to talk about a fucking dog dying. That is genius. Yeah. I mean, a, it's not. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of these. That is funny. That is, that is humanity. <laughs> it is humanity. The reason I chose it as a Malkovich moment is that I think when you lose your temper— you're telling yourself a story about how you've been wronged somehow. Mm -hmm. It's ultimately sort of a pity party. Yep. I kind of want to know who's at fault for this. He's blaming, near as I can piece things together here, he's blaming his producers for the song that's a lead-in to a death dedication about a dead dog and that he is being asked to create the emotional connective tissue from one song into this dedication. Yeah. And he's pissed off about it. That set him off that day. I just want to know what was going on in his head. Like, what was the trigger? Yeah, not just what was the trigger, but what was the story he was telling himself? They're trying to screw me over. They're trying to make me look bad. Or they're trying to ask me to do something I can't do here, which is make this dedication to a, a dying dog snuggles. Yeah. Or it's like, well, are you fucking with me? Maybe. I, right? I guess that's what I want to know. I just, I want to, I, I kind of want the lead up to what is the narrative going on. That this is the thing that sets him over the edge. And he has a temper. This comes up later. In fact, not a bad segue into our next category. Well, then let's do it. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. 
Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything factor meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell ya, I have small ear canals, Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, (laughs) oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business, and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. All right, next category, marriages. How many, also how many kids, and is there anything public about these relationships? There's lots of public things about these relationships. Yeah, this is going to be a hard one to talk about. Yeah, we're going to have to work hard to be concise about okay. this. Let's take it easy with the first marriage. Okay. First marriage, wife number one, Linda Myers in 1972 to 1979. So Casey was age 40 to 47. That's pretty late marriage. That's what I thought. He was a little bit older. Three children in those seven years. I tried to find out information about why the marriage didn't last. And the only thing I found was that his first wife said it was his temper. Oh. Now, worth knowing, 1972, American Top 40 launches in 1970. So he's had his flirtations with Hollywood, and he is now beginning his rocket ship rise on terrestrial radio, on FM radio. Yep. And I think that's noteworthy about when he gets married. So I just wanted to mark that. All right, wife number two, Jean Thompson of Cheers fame, from 1980 to his death in 2014. So Casey was aged 48 to 82. 
She, at the time of marriage, was 26, so 22 years younger than him. They had one child. And one random fun fact, according to Time magazine, they were married by the Reverend Jesse Jackson. I saw that. (laughs) Isn't that great? (laughs) Do you want to try and do the succinct version of this? Well, I mean, there's just the last several years of his life since he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. It's not Parkinson's. It's uh, Lewy body dementia. It's like Parkinson's, so it is a degenerative disease. He did eventually lose his voice. And for a man whose old trade was his voice, that was tragic. But he gets the diagnosis somewhere around 2007. And I think the last seven years are troublesome. Yeah, so basically there was a rift between his children from his first marriage and his current wife, his, his second, second wife. wife. Yeah, The children basically accusing her of, or not even accusing, she actually did block access to him. Right. And that he was being mistreated or possibly like his death was being expedited right. in a certain way. Well, and I, that actually, it, I think it was the other way around. I think that he had signed something in 2007 saying, if I get to a place where uh, life's not living, living will. Yeah. yeah. And, they, and she wasn't honoring that. That's correct. So this dispute emerges between the children of the first marriage and the second wife, their stepmother, Correct. essentially. There are several lawsuits, judges, and all involved. It's not a, a little family dispute. No, it explodes into a sort of immediate debacle. There's all kinds of news reports about it. I mean, I would say this was such a big deal that in doing the research for Casey Kasem, I did not know about any of this at the time. Did you? No, I didn't. Yeah, this is not the kind of thing I pay attention to, yeah, I guess. Yeah, but it's got a whole, like, uh, well, missing Richard Simmons element to it, right? Totally. It was such a big story that it was actually hard to find out information about Casey Kasem's life not related to this drama in the last seven years. Yeah. I mean, the judge is saying, at one point, you've got to give the kids access, and then Gene Thompson takes him out of state. Yeah, and moves just, him to Washington State. Right, which is ultimately where he dies, and... So, and very contentious, and eventually, like, the lawsuits continue after his death. Yes. So, this is all in the marriage category. I felt like we had to talk about this. There's also this one really weird incident about the meat throwing. Did you see that? Meat throwing? No. Yeah. So, Gene, uh, the kids and one of Casey's brothers, as he's dying, go outside to their house and are, like, protesting, and they capture on a cell phone film... Gene coming out, reciting biblical verses, and throwing raw meat at the kids. It's weird. It's a weird video. I I think she was trying to be symbolic in throwing this meat, saying this is what you're after somehow, and this is how immoral it is, because that's her point of view on the children, that the children are trying to do something that they shouldn't, and the children's point of view is that the stepmother is, who knows? I don't know. You said we need to be succinct. I completely agree. I don't know what the truth is. That's sort of my point. And, yeah. And, and I don't know what to make of this. I think that we have... Why is the marriage category always so goddamn problematic, Amit? I think that's a separate question. But I think the key element here for me is there's not seem to be a graceful transition for the children becoming stepchildren to the second wife. I think that's very and clear. There is a lot of people out there that we see that have multiple marriages, children from separate marriages, but they seem to still compose a family unit. Yeah. And that does not at all seem apparent here. Obviously not. I mean, you look at just the marriage record for Casey. He was married for seven years with a woman, had several children, didn't work out. She said he had a temper, and that marriage ended. Fine. He's with the same woman, the second wife, for decades afterwards, right? And in the abstract, I like that. But I also agree that 
whether marriages end in divorce or not, that I, I do want my definition of family to be broad enough that anybody who might call themselves a family member is welcome at the table. And that did not happen here and was not happening here. And is a decades old, you know, we're, we don't like stepmom and stepmom doesn't like the kids. Yeah, if what thing. we're after is to figure out what is good and what is desirable, I think having your own biological children despise your current wife does not seem to be good. I think let's leave it at that. Yeah. All right, going to the next category, category five, net worth. What'd you find? Top 40 times two. <laughs> is that correct? 80 million. 80 million that's is correct. what I found. Two million for each song on the list. Well, I, I don't think that's where the money came from. I think it, it was came from Scooby. Yeah. Well, and the voice work. I mean, he also did the voice of Robin. There was a Transformers thing. He was doing commercials as well. I mean, voice of NBC. He, he did a lot of voice work, and that seems to be where the paychecks were coming from. Um, yeah, but I mean, a TV show as well as a syndicated radio show, there's a lot of royalties coming in. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I haven't cracked open the books. I have no clue. But, but I would just guess. So they said at some point, like the the top 40 radio show was syndicated on like 1,100 stations. Yeah. And if it's a weekly show, that's even if it's coming in as pennies or dollars, it's adding up. Well, right. And this is obviously when FM radio used to be significantly more important. How do you feel about the number, though? Uh, higher than I expected. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I got to say I'm okay with it. Only because I do think I am so impressed with his voice. You know, it's like the voice of a, of a great singer. It's like a great, and you know, somebody's like an incredible guitar player or something. I mean, it is a singular, God-given talent. But I think also one he honed. I think he paid attention to it and cared for it. Yeah, and it was a long career and a varied career. If you're going to look at both the host duties and the voice acting duties, Two separate income streams that are both royalty-producing. Yeah. And that lasted a long, long time. Yeah. So while it may have surprised you... Now that I sort of dissect it, it doesn't surprise me. That's how I felt as soon as I started thinking through it. Okay, let's go on to the next category. Category six. Simpsons, Saturday Night Live, Hollywood Walk of Fame. This category is a measure of how famous a person is. We include both guest appearances on SNL or The Simpsons as well as impersonations. I have something happy to report. Yes. He hit all three. He did. The he tri hit all three. So Triple crown. The, triple crown. With The Simpsons in season three, there's a, an episode where Bart fakes being stuck in a well, and he like throws a little tape recorder. Oh, remember I remember that. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, yeah. that was modeled after the baby Jessica in Midland. That's exactly right. Yes. Uh, and there's a song created <laughs> during the episode called Sending Our Love Down the Well, DJ Casey Kasem leads us off on this song and like calls it out. I remember it very clearly now. Yes. Saturday Night Live. I don't know if you remember the Dana Carvey impersonation. No, it's not fresh. It's, excellent. I mean, I knew it's out there, but it's not. I don't remember it firsthand. Hello, I'm Casey Kasem. <laughs> you know, tonight in the number one spot, a little song for a good cause, a cause most people don't even think about. And then he also had a Hollywood Walk of Fame by 1982, which I thought was because kind of, of the show. I, it, actually, unclear. I, I, or it could be the Scooby. I watched this 1983 tribute where he. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why he would have gotten the, but it was he had the start by 1983. Yeah. So somehow he got it. So clearly famous. I did do the what I call the Brandon test, where I said. To the 22-year-old who a production assistant I have, do you know who he is? 
Brandon did not know who Casey Kasem was. And then I asked my 36-year-old friend who's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. So somewhere between 22 and 36, Casey Kasem's fame has tempered It parallels where syndicated programming kind of dries out. Yeah. So anyway. So that's a lot. Plus, I mean, plus all of these appearances in various things. Right. Yeah, so a, a famous man. A famous man, married by Jesse Jackson. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Who he also campaigned for. In 88. That's right. All right. Category seven, over, under. In this category, we look at generalized life expectancy, the year that this person was born, to see if they beat house odds as a measure of grace. He had to have. He was born in 1932. Life expectancy was 61. He made it to 82. So 21 years. We have another winner for the over category. He's a depression baby, too. Yeah. 1932? Yeah, he did well. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good run. But, you know, we talk about this category. One of the reasons we talk about it is did they age gracefully? And I think he he did or may have, but, you know, he died of terrible disease. Yeah. And those last seven years of his life sounded awful. There's no question about it. So, So even though he beat the house odds, even without those last seven years, it's a very rough ending. I think that's right. Uh, Let's pause for a word from our sponsor. American Criminal is a new true crime podcast from the studio behind American Scandal and American History Tellers. Every week, you'll fall deeper into the riveting stories of the country's most clever, craven, and cruel criminals. Fraud, theft, murder, and worse. Whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the whole story until now. The debut season tackles one of the most sensational cases of the 20th century, the Menendez murders. In 1989, young Lyle and Eric Menendez brutally shot their own parents. Prosecutors and the press said it was a multi-million dollar inheritance that led two greedy rich kids to murder. But the picture-perfect facade this Hollywood family built hid troubling abuse. Could these teenagers have been driven to kill? Or was it even in self-defense? Listen now. Go to AmericanCriminal.com or search for and follow American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. So, Michael, we each do our own set of research as we prepare for these shows. Mm -hmm. I notice you always reference a biography and you have like a paperback biography with you as we come to studio. Yeah. So I am to assume that you're getting these from some online Megamart. Is that correct? No, not at all. The first thing I do when you and I decide on our next dead celebrity is I go and find out, is there a biography on this person? And is that biography available at Half Price Books? There's a store right up the street from me, an actual brick-and-mortar store where I can walk in. When I go there to find out, do they have a biography for our next dead celebrity? But I always wind up picking up more books. I go through the children's section. I'm a sucker for a good page-turner, so I go through the murder mystery section. They also have rare collections. They have signed stuff. I don't know how this sounds to you, but I actually... I love the smell of half-price books. It's got that old book smell. I do. I like that, too. Isn't that a great smell? Yeah. And you know what? Half-price books is currently celebrating 50 years of buying and selling books, movies, and music. There are more than 120 stores, and you can find out more about half-price books at hpb.com. All right. Thus far, we've gotten after the relatively easy-to-obtain public information. The next series of categories are going to be introspective questions, where we try and 
think through what it would have been like to have been this person. The first category here is man in the mirror. What did they think about their own reflection? Did Casey Kasem like his reflection? I think so. What makes you say that? Just his gait. I think the way he stood, you know, he dressed very plainly, very square, but I think he actually liked that. And I also don't think you can get that type of voice projection unless you have a certain amount of confidence and self-respect. I agree. I went with, yes, he liked it. I think it's part of the reason he kept trying to act is that he felt like he belonged on the silver screen. Yeah. You know? Every picture I saw of him smiling, it's always an open mouth smile. There's never teeth together. That looked very deliberate. Does that signal anything? Does a closed mouth smile or smile with just teeth versus the kind of let the jaw hang, does that signal anything to you at all about... That's a, that's a great question. I know I, in my interpretation, it's just one factor in a compilation of a lot of things that, that about a person's smile. Interesting point, though. You know, I was kind of surprised to find that, you know, when I became familiar with the show probably in the 80s, he was in his 50s. Yeah. And, I mean, he, he looked good. So I think he was a, he was a pretty, like, fit, just good-looking man. Not only that, I also think that his interest in health and wellness as a vegan, I think that he seemed, like, body conscious. Yeah. You know? All right, let's go on to the next one. Outgoing message. You have reached the voicemail box of... Like Man in the Mirror, we want to know about how somebody felt about the sound of their own voice when they heard it on an answering machine or outgoing voicemail. Would they have recorded it? I'm going two-part question. Absolutely loved his own voice, but his voice was his entire thing. Right. So if he's given the choice of the default message of you have reached 555, et cetera, et cetera, he'll just go with the default greeting because his voice is too valuable. He's not going to like hand it out, you know, where you can just call and anybody can hear the Casey case and you have reached my house. I have a surprise for you. Okay. And I mentioned earlier, I found this 1983 profile that somebody had done of Casey Kasem. I'm just going to play you this one clip. When you hear your own voice now, do you like it? He was actually asked, do you like your own voice? And he said, if I played for you what I sounded like on the radio as a disc jockey when I was the number one disc jockey in Detroit, you would never think that I, I had a career in radio. He ducks the question. He ducks the question. Really disappointed. I found out. I'm like, oh, I'm going to get to show this off, and we actually have data for once. Yeah. I think he loved it. I'm good with that. I think he loved it, too. Let's move on. Next category, regrets, public or private. What we really want to know is what, if anything, kept this person awake at night. Got a handful of things here. Yeah. We mentioned that he was a vegan and that he quit Shaggy in the mid-90s. When asked to do a Burger King commercial, he returned in 2002, insisting Shaggy be a vegetarian. So uh, I don't know if that's a regret, but it's sort of like, what am I lending my voice and my my power to? But that sounds like a triumph, though. Well, ultimately, but, uh, you know, he he walked away. I mentioned, I think already, uh, that he said to the New York Times, this was in 2004, they're going to be playing Shaggy and Scooby-Doo for eons and eons, and they're going to forget Casey Kasem. That made it sound like he had a little bit of a conflicted relationship with this Scooby-Doo character in terms of legacy. Maybe not, but I read a little bit of regret there. The last one that I have in the public category is he did run into some controversy in 1991 when a CD was released that included profane remarks he had made on tape dismissing the band U2. 
He said, these guys are from England. Who gives a shit? I wonder about some of these, like, what was caught on microphone moments. Oh, it's not that he didn't say Ireland. That's not the regret. You're saying that he actually said He actually said England. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That's all I got. In terms of public, I do think the private thing is more speculative, but also probably more important. I wonder if he didn't regret not figuring out a way to make peace between his second wife and his first three children. Yeah, we don't know how much of that he was in shape for, right? Well, but it, but that's that's long brewing stuff. Yeah, I mean, that you is know, true. He, he that goes back to 1980, and you know, if he takes a new wife when the kids are still itty bitty, which yeah. they are, grows up and has a relationship with him, I have to imagine that he had wanted peace. Yeah. Acceptance. So also, I think, you know, he walked away from his own show that he created. Yeah. Right. With a contract dispute, the top 40 show, and returned to it 10 years later. So I've got to wonder if he regrets that, the walking away and not having the just pure continuity of his career. I think I would be bothered by that. It's a very Steve Jobs, like Casey Kasem and Steve Jobs, there's a lot of parallels with like that, even though Steve Jobs didn't walk away, he was fired. And then, like, triumphant return and the temper tantrums. The other one I wonder about, and may, and this is probably me wondering more than you, is the name. He's known as Casey, right? His Lebanese identity was very sort of non-public. Yeah. He didn't go by his birth name because, I mean, he wouldn't have had the Kamal, career he had. Yeah, Kamal Amen Kasem. Yeah, but I'm just saying as as a larger theme yeah. of being perceived as so mono-American by so many. Yeah, that's a really good call. Yeah, I got to say, this actually informs the next category for me. Can we go on to the next category? Yeah. Boy, this feels like it's in order. The next category is good dreams or bad dreams. And this is about look in the eye. Did he have a haunted look in the eye? I'm going to say bad dreams. I'm going to go bad dreams also. I think the temper tantrums... That's indicative of something. I mean, he was somebody that went to war yes. as well. He was in Korea. Yeah, there's there's obviously anger and fear built in there. So we both are pretty resolutely in agreement about bad dreams here. Yeah, I don't think he, he necessarily had the look in the eye that looked haunted. I saw it. You saw it? I felt like I saw it. Hmm. I felt like there was just something being covered up there. Yeah. But I just think there being two people or possibly three people, you have like the all-American dad type hosting the show, you have somebody very prone to anger, and you also have the immigrant child. Yeah. And there's kind of these three floating out there. I'm not saying it's not justified, but I saw something haunted. Yeah. yeah. Haunted is a cruel word. We need to come up with something better. I mean, haunted's fine I for saw now. pain. Pain. I saw pain. Pain's good. Yeah. No, painting is not good, but no, it's but, a good but word. pain's a better description. Haunted yeah. makes it seem like a victim or something. I, but I saw pain. Yeah. All right, second to last category, cocktail, coffee, cannabis. This is where we ask which one we would most want to do with our dead guest. This may be a question of what drug sounds like the most fun to partake with this person, or it may be what drug would allow access to a part of them that we're most curious about. I want to unlock with the cannabis. Interesting. Yeah. What are you after? I want to hear the natural voice. Yeah. One. Yeah. There's a fighter inside of him, obviously. Yeah. With all of these causes that he has taken up, he has the very strong positions, and there's a deep thinker inside, but the public Casey I knew is so different from that. And so I just feel like that's the quickest access to the disarming of Casey Kasem. It's a great answer. I want cocktail. 
Because I really think that if you catch this guy in a good mood, he would entertain the hell out of you. That is true. It you know, I think it's interesting because he is a culture maker, but he's not necessarily in the center of culture in terms of like has good stories. He may or may not. He certainly had plenty of trivial information, which he used to introduce different segments. But I just feel like there's probably some good stories in there and that you just get him on a roll and he probably knows how to make you laugh, knows how to captivate your attention and hold it and keep it. I just think it would be fun to get him in a good mood and hang out with that good mood. And I think that the best way to do that is through a nice stiff drink. Okay, let's, yeah. let's compare notes afterwards, <laughs> after we each have our sessions with Casey. That sounds good. I think we're there. We're at the Vanderbeek, named after James Vanderbeek, who famously said in Varsity Blues, I don't want your life. Based on everything we've talked about, Amit, the big question is, do you want this life? I'm going with no. I think the career is fantastic, historically important, trend-setting, I think he was a man of principle. What I cannot get past is the suffering in the end. Amen. It's really, really hard to think about that much suffering and that much intra-family strife. But also, I mean, to just die of a degenerative disease alone and to suffer for for seven years, I don't want it. I don't want it no matter how good things were that preceded it. I just, I can't have those last seven years. I mean, I I have a strong lean in that direction. I basically have the same answer. Let me talk it out a little bit more just just to unpack a couple of things. Because I do think, like, look, death is scary no matter what. I don't want to die of a degenerative disease. I'm not sure I want to die of anything, but it's inevitable. (laughs) And I I don't think we just necessarily get to choose our death, right? The more troubling aspect is who was caring for us and how, and that we were not well-known enough to those who ostensibly loved us so that they could all come together and agree on how to die. At the same time, I don't want the conclusion of whether or not a life is good or not to be based only around the death. You know, I heard the other day somebody say, apparently there's an old Charlie Brown cartoon where Charlie Brown and Snoopy are talking and Charlie Brown says something like, you only live once. And Snoopy says, no, that's not true. You only die once. You live every day. And I liked that. Yeah. And I liked that a lot because I do believe life is one day at a time. So I don't want to draw too many conclusions from the death alone. I definitely admire this type of fame and celebrity. I mean, to have a voice like that, like Casey Kasem's, is a sort of transcendent power. And to use it in a variety of ways. Yeah, right? To exercise it where you can. And even though it never breaks through on the silver screen, that that it does as a voice actor and in commercials, as well as just on the radio once a week, and you're creating experiences for people through voice, that's great. That's great. So it's not necessarily the death It's more the relationships, that his children and his second wife couldn't come to an agreement about him signals to me a deeper alienation that I don't want. I'm with you on the no, but for a slightly different reason, because I think I don't want it because I need more evidence of relational wealth. Yeah, proper closure. Yeah, I mean, the older I get, I definitely, family dynamics are always weird and siblings can bicker at each other and second wives can hate first children or whatever. I get that, that that family's always complicated, but I want to live a life where when things really come to matter, 
everybody's able to look past that. And I think everybody was trying to hear for what it's worth, but that he could not communicate to them what everybody needed to do is, is a limitation that scares me more than the death itself. It's more about how he lived one day at a time. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So we're both now. And we're both now. So to close us out, Ahmet, you're Casey Kasem. You've died. You're meeting St. Peter at the Pearly Gates. St. Peter is a stand-in. You have your opportunity to make your pitch. The floor is yours. Everyone is given a voice when they're born. Definitely not everyone uses it equally. And when we talk about a voice, we're talking about two things. We're talking about specifically the words that come out of our mouth and the sounds that we make. But we're also talking about a voice, meaning what we stand for as an individual. And I mastered both. I used my natural voice in a way to create excitement, comfort, new categories of programming, togetherness, storytelling, dedicating, essentially feel good. I made culture, and not just on my music radio show, but even in cartoons that were seen by millions, kids and adults. And then there's the other type of voice of what do you stand for? And no one can look at me now and accuse me of not standing for something. I walked away from things, very lucrative things, because I will not and did not compromise on my beliefs. And so if there is one thing that I have left to the world, it's an example of how to use your voice. Let me in. Thank you for listening to this episode of Famous and Gravy. If you're enjoying our show, please go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review. You can sign up for our mailing list at famousandgravy.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at Famous and Gravy. Our show was co-created by Amit Kapoor and me, Michael Osborne. Mixing, mastering, and sound design by Morgan Honecker. Graphic design by Brandon Burke. And original music by Kevin Strang. Thank you again for listening and hope to see you next time. to achieve the American dream. The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would they shot? Would they shot? Would you kill? Yes. <laughs> My mom is dead. My mom is right there. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. 
Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.